Now more with Frank Gaffney. We're back, and I am really ecstatic to say we're joined by a man I've come to admire enormously for his acumen about a subject that I think all of us need to know a lot more about, and that is cybersecurity. And it turns out that Joe Weiss, who is a professional engineer with a number of credentials in risk and information security management, um, a distinguished track record in industry, and he is uh, these days associated with Applied Control Solutions, LLC. Um, I've had the privilege of um, getting to know Joe a little bit through his collaboration with uh, one of the most important efforts that uh, our Center for Security Policy has been involved in, I think, for, well, 12 or so more years, um, called the Secure the Grid Coalition. And uh, you can find out more about it at securethegrid.com. Joe participates in weekly calls, uh, just about all of them, and inevitably brings insights to bear about what has been learned, what is afoot, uh, what we should be alive to in terms of the threats, particularly coming from the cyber uh, space vector. But um, I've asked him to join us today because it turns out he also knows a lot about nuclear power. And we've had reports in the press about a potential problem. Uh, We're still sorting out the magnitude of it, and this is an unfolding story uh, since it involves communist China, you can be sure we may never know the full extent of the problem, but uh, the French are involved in it too. And so we may have a better fix on it uh, as a result of their participation. But I'm anxious to talk with Joe Weiss about this um, Tishan plant in uh, Guangdong province in China, um, and to uh, then explore with him a little bit about um, what we've been learning lately about cybersecurity as well. Joe, it's so good to have you with us. Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. Uh, thank you for the invitation. The pleasure is mine. And I, by the way, I appreciate being able to be part of that Friday call because I also get information coming my way. It's been two-way and it's been really good. Good. Well, I uh, commend particularly my colleague, Tommy Waller, who has done a remarkable job of uh, managing that effort, uh, the, the Secure the Grid Coalition and uh, and those calls. So we uh, we appreciate him and you. Let me get right to it. Um, Joe, what do we know at this moment about what's gone on at this plant? Um, it's, uh, it's just one of some 47 of these uh, nuclear plants around China. Um, but this involves a relatively new um, uh, nuclear power plant technology called EPR. What what does that stand for and what's the significance of it? Okay, the EPR stands for the um, Evolutionary Pressurized Water Reactor. Uh, It is basically a French uh, next-generation design of the pressurized water reactor that Westinghouse originally developed here in the States. And the French basically in the Germans, um, had developed that that's, in a sense, I guess you could call it the third generation uh, reactor. And uh, the EPR is a very large reactor. So the two reactors we're talking about in China, as best as I can tell, they're the largest in terms of generation, you know, capacity in the world. These are two very, very large 
nuclear plants, Unit 1 and Unit 2. And the problem apparently has occurred at Unit 1. Uh, what we are told, and you know, this started off by a, uh, uh, an article from in CNN, and according to CNN, it states, and I'm going to basically just read from their report, the U.S. government has spent the past week assessing a report of a leak at a Chinese nuclear power plant after a French company that part owns and helps operate it warned of an imminent radiological threat, according to U.S. officials and documents re reviewed by CNN. The warning included an accusation that the Chinese safety authority was raising the acceptable limits for radiation detection outside the Taishan nuclear plant in Guangdong province in order to avoid having to shut it down, according to a letter from the French company to the U.S. Department of Energy obtained by CNN. So they're releasing, presumably, um, radioactive gases. Is that the point? And they want nobody to raise too much of a ruckus about it because they don't want to shut down the plant. Um, why would they be so keen not to shut the plant down, Joe? Um, well, obviously, when you shut a plant down, um, it costs a lot of money. Um, years ago, we calculated it's like a thousand megawatt nuclear plant, and this is something like 1700. But years ago, it was like $500,000 a day replacement power cost. Today, it may be closer to a million dollars a day for a plant that size. I'm saying of a thousand megawatt, this is 1,700. So it's huge. Yeah, so, I think, but, but Joe, here's the thing. Way, in a funny way, think of the Colonial Pipeline shutdown, how much that cost when it was the down. The ripple effects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you really don't want to ever shut these down if you can afford The The concern, though, of course, is that uh, you have to balance that cost against the possibility of large contamination of the population downwind from the plant. This was, of course, a big concern with uh, our own nuclear accident uh, at Three Mile Island. Um, the Chinese have not distinguished themselves, I think it's uh, <laughs> generous to say, um, in terms of their concern about their population. Um, so might this help explain why they would be inclined to just sort of brazen it out um, rather than take a step that would actually have some cost in terms of uh, the, the rest of the power supply. That's a, a good possibility. The other possibility is the Chinese are marketing this plant all over the world. So the last thing they want to do is in any way, shape, or form um, have any question as to its reliability reliability or safety because this is unit one, which is the one we're talking about, is the first EPR to go commercial. And Joe, I, I, in that CNN report, as I recall, there was some speculation that these gases might not be um, being released by the Chinese, but rather they're leaking. Uh, the suggestion being that there might be a crack, uh, one or more, in the containment vessel itself, which would be a substantially larger problem, presumably. Um, do you have any insight into what the likelihood of that is? Don't know. But what I do know is this, that 
you know, what was described in the report is you have these uh, radiation monitors that are monitoring the piping in the plant. Uh, the same way you would monitor, again, I'll go back to the colonial pipeline. You monitor the, the, the pipe with leak detection. You know, you're looking for tiny leaks as indication that a pipe is cracking. Well, in a nuclear plant, you're monitoring not only, if you will, steam or water, you know, in terms of it leaking, but if there is uh, any type of uh, radiation there, you're also monitoring the radiation. You know, it's an indication if there is a leak. So this is a very important safety issue that you don't walk away from. And and this is why presumably the French have been raising the alarm, uh, among others, with our government. Um, apparently, the Biden administration is um, not persuaded that it is a crisis at this point. Um, would you counsel differently? Well, the first thing is you're talking about Framatom being the French part owner and, and, and constructor. Framatom commercially offers all of these nuclear plant services. They also sell plants, et cetera, et cetera. For them to have to reach out, there is something very different or wrong here. This is what they do for a living. And they, they would have an interest, just as the Chinese do, to not signal that there's anything wrong with one of their products. Um, Joe, I, we could go on. I, I think it's safe to say that this is a story we're going to be hearing a lot more about probably in the days ahead. And I, I would like to get you to come back with updates, if you would, based again on, on your expertise with this plant design and um, particularly look, working through the safety issues associated with it. But I did, before I let you go, ask, want, want to ask you some questions about cyber. Okay. Before you do that, I'm going to give you a connection from where we were talking about the nuclear plant to the discussions you want to have on cybersecurity. A segue, we call it in the business. A perfect segue. And that is, I was actually involved in analyzing this particular plant design for cybersecurity. And the original design for the EPR, and I can't speak for what China has done, but I can speak for what others did, is it turns out the initial design was using all digital equipment. And it turned out from a cybersecurity perspective, it wasn't safe. This is a, a point that uh, is something that I have learned um, and, and found somewhat incredible, truthfully, that the old analog, as they call them, switches are a lot more robust than these highfalutin, fancy, new um, digital uh, control devices. And uh, you've been one of the most important mentors on this subject, Joe. And, and it brings me to the second topic. Uh, and Thank you for that nice segue. Um, we've had of late uh, a number of these so-called ransomware attacks that have taken out, you mentioned colonial uh, pipelines, infrastructure in the East Coast of the United States for a time. Uh, we've had food uh, 
production plants taken offline. Uh, we've had healthcare um, industries. We've even had the ferry that goes out to Martha's Vineyard, um, perhaps inconveniencing um, some of uh, our elite who have the privilege of vacationing out there. But these others have affected an awful lot of others of us. And the potential for tremendous harm has been underscored. Um, talk a little bit about what the takeaways are, as you see it, from these experiences, and, and more generally, how urgent it is that we uh, we start really getting serious about the kinds of things you've been devoting your life to, namely cybersecurity. Okay. Again, thank you for the question. And here's... I want to separate it into two pieces. The first is the IT security, which is your business networks. That's what ransomware goes after. That's what happened with the Colonial Pipeline, with the meat company, with Scripps Healthcare, with MTA. It's a short-term uh, non-safety effect Basically, they're going to lock up your data and they won't give it to you or they'll make it public if you don't pay the money, you know, and then supposedly get a decryption key. That's only half of our problem, but it's not the real problem. What I worry about is like with the Chinese nuclear plant, the sensors, actuators, and drives, in other words, the actual control systems, the devices have no cybersecurity, no cyber logging, or no authentication to this day. This is insane. And when you get to them, that's where you can blow up a pipeline or you can cause the problems you're talking about in China, or you can bring the grid down for 9 to 18 months. This isn't somebody saying the sky is falling. This is all real and, and, and demonstrated. What's bothersome for me is the focus on all of this is at the ransomware level because people understand it, they've been bitten, but that's not the real, real concern. The concern is that with like a uh, liquefied natural gas plant sitting like, in, you know, Boston Harbor, if the pressure goes up too much and the sensors don't do their job, you could take out a goodly part of Boston. Yeah, the LNG stuff is, uh, is yeah, very alarming. Is, yeah, and so it's Joe, not ransomware. Yeah, no, this is, this is basically um, big league cyber warfare and and used for highly destructive purposes, not simply shaking people down for money. Um, and Joe, I guess the, the question that I would just ask of you, and, and we talk about it a lot on these, these Secure the Grid calls, is if the grid of the United States, especially over large areas of the United States, were to go down for nine to 18 months, as you posit, could happen as a result of one of these cyber attacks, or by the way, you know, uh, an electromagnetic pulse attack, or perhaps uh, a very well-planned physical sabotage attack for that matter. What would the world look like? Or at least what would this country look like after the that 1850s. period elapsed? The pre-industrial you know, age. Without being flippant, if you have, you know, there was there was a book, The One Second After, you know, you know what happens immediately after an EMP. 
And part of what they were talking about is what's going to be still running 1950s and 60s cars that have no electronics in them. You know, everything with electronics fried. So, you know, it's a really, really different you know, it, it's kind of an ultimate weapon. And and Joe, knowing a lot about security and, and risk-related issues, is there any question in your mind that adversaries of this country, and uh, I'm not talking about the obvious ones, the, the Russias and the Chinas, but even the Irans and the North Koreas, and perhaps, you know, jihadist groups for that matter, are aware of our vulnerabilities and have doctrines to exploit them? As an engineer, I can't, I, I don't try to go into, if you will, threat assessments. What I can tell you is, from firsthand, the Russians know about the lack of security in these devices. They actually did a demonstration at, when I was still running my uh, ICS cybersecurity conference back in 2016. Um, China is well aware of this. Iran is aware of this. Um, I was at an uh, International Atomic Energy uh, Agency conference in Vienna when the vice president of uh, security for Korea, hydro, and, uh, and nuclear gave a presentation of how the North Koreans were going after the South Korean nuclear plants. This is not... There's nothing hypothetical here. Um, this is the real world. And so, Joe, the, the final question is, um, and honestly, it's vexed me beyond words, and I, I think it has you too, having heard you talk about these issues, is if this is all not conjecture or hypothetical or a possible you know, projection, but the real world, how on earth? earth is it that we have not taken steps since at least, you know, you worked on this in 2016, for example, um, or further back than that, I know. What's the impediment to making, well, for just one example, control systems throughout our grid secure against cyber attack? In many cases, it's ourselves, our own industry. Um, what I'm hoping is that the credit rating agencies and the insurance companies will simply say the risk is too great. You either do the right thing or we won't, you know, we, we, we won't insure you or we'll hit your credit rating. Yes, I, that is a sensational idea. Again, people, you know, I think the ordinary layperson listening to this would say, well, don't the people who run these utilities, don't the industries in question have loved ones who will be imperiled? I mean, because uh, the projection is that, you know, nine out of 10 of us would perish if we go back to the 1850s um, style economy and, you know, uh, and agricultural dependencies and so on. Um, and, and how do you respond to that, sir? All I can say is, I'll give you a concrete example. In March 2007, the Idaho National Lab did the Aurora hardware demonstration, made its way to CNN, where they showed how they could, just using bits and bytes from a PC, blow up 
a 27-ton diesel generator, okay? Just using bits and bytes. It's as if they would have stuck sticks of dynamite under it. And yet, here we are in 2021, and the utilities have still not addressed the Aurora vulnerability. It's unbelievable. This was in 2007. Well, Joe Weiss, I know that it's not for want of your trying to get them to take corrective action. I commend you for that work. Uh, I appreciate specifically the degree to which you have helped others of us who are concerned about this vulnerability of ours uh, to understand it better. And I, I think in particular, if, if you'll come back to us with updates on this topic, as well as uh, the Chinese nuclear plant that seems to be in trouble, um, I would be profoundly grateful, and I'm sure our audience will be as well. Thank you for all you do for our country, Joe Weiss, and uh, I know you're going to keep it up because that's what you do, and I look forward to our next visit, uh, hopefully in the very near future. In the meantime, again, thanks for joining us today with Secure Freedom Radio. Uh, that's it for today's program. We appreciate very much your joining us. I hope you'll do the same again tomorrow, same time, same place. From the nation's capital, you've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Biden will address a joint session of some of Congress tonight. As a public service, here's a translation into plain English of what he's likely to say. President will gloat about the booming U.S. economy. Translation, Unchecked government spending is creating a sugar high that actually imperils the dollar as the world's reserve currency and therefore America's economic viability. The president will tout Senate Democrats' S-1 bill as vital to election integrity. Translation, this legislation would guarantee voting fraud and preclude future free and fair balloting. And President Biden will claim to have restored America's world leadership. Translation, international contempt for him and his team is evident in growing threats from China, Russia, and Iran. Glib presidential talk about unity and progress must not mislead us about the dangerous fundamental transformation of America now underway and the imperative need to resist it. This is Frank Gaffney. This is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. In this period of sequester of millions of Americans, including veterans, health care is even more important. The Department of Veterans Affairs video, video Connect mobile application enables you to connect with the virtual medical room. In the virtual medical room, you can participate in a video health care visit. A hands-on physician examination is not required. You access your provider on a scheduled date and time, just like a face-to-face visit at the clinic examining room. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Get enrolled in the VA healthcare system. Have an email account where the link to the virtual medical room can be sent. For more information about this important service, go to va.gov, search for VA Video Connect Service. Quality healthcare is just a click away. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. Dan Perkins here with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. There is a growing concern among service members and their families about various blood, prostate, and urinary tract cancers. Navy Commander Mike Crosby, founder of Veterans Prostate Awareness, said we don't know what the cause is. That study has yet to be done. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to vetsprostate.org. That's vetsprostate.org and check it out. Remember, an early diagnosis increases the survival rate. This has been your songs and stories, veterans, tip of the day.
This is Frank Gaffney with a word about a truly great American patriot in urgent need. Rich Higgins served in the U.S. Army and as a key civilian Pentagon official and senior strategist on President Trump's National Security Council. After he left the NSC, Rich continued advising Mr. Trump and others about the threats we are facing from enemies, foreign and domestic. He chronicled his experiences over the past 20 years fighting for America First in a terrific memoir entitled The Memo. Now this courageous freedom fighter is gravely ill due to severe complications caused by the Chinese Communist Party virus. He urgently needs help to defray the enormous costs of successive surgeries and a prospective organ transplant. I urge you to join me in contributing to a GoFundMe campaign named Medical Help for Rich Higgins. That's Medical Help for Rich Higgins at GoFundMe.com. God bless you and Rich Higgins. History was made on today's date. Stay tuned for an American Minute with Bill Federer. The legend of Robin Hood speaks of Richard the Lionhearted. Upon his return to England after crusading in the Holy Land, he took back the throne from his brother John. After his death, though, John again ruled oppressively. The angry barons responded by capturing London and on this date, June 15, 1215, surrounded John on the plains of Runnymede. There, the arbitrary power of the king was forever limited when they forced him to sign the Magna Carta. It ends with these words.